0: Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and you can hear crickets in the background, because I am sitting with Fan Pen Chen on the edge of the Gilderland Community Garden, and she has just taken us on the most marvelous tour of her two plots that is, it's like she's an artist with the earth. She lets things grow and cultivates them, and has this whole changing (laughs) palette of different plants. So thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh,
1: thank you for coming.
0: I just like, having seen that amazing masterpiece, to hear how did you become a gardener? Where did you start and learn Uh this?
1: Well, my, my father loved gardening. So when I was growing up, we always followed him around and then he would give us plots to garden on our own. So um, that, that was the beginning of um, interest in gardening. Uh, I, gardened, I had, I had uh, houses with gardens, uh, backyards in the past. But when I moved to Gildaland, I moved into an apartment Uh, uh, Fairwood apartment I talked to the management people there and I said you should create a garden for people to do their gardening and they said well there is a garden community garden right uh, in Gildaland and uh, got me in touch with Jerry and this
0: is Jerry Hauser who's the coordinator coordinator
1: he's the uh, supervisor of the garden and uh, and he showed me a plot which was available, and he said, "Well, you can start it. Uh, you can you can have it next year." Um, that I think it was late August, and I said, "No, I'm going to start it right now." <laughs> <laughs> so I I started. Uh, uh, I started uh, back then. I could go to the Dutch Manor, the horse farm, right, right. and they would let us go and uh, dig the, the manure from from there. I think they don't do that anymore. But after, after they stopped doing that, um, Tom at the town, uh, he works at the town park, who lives right next on, on this property. He would, as a, as a favor, he would uh, get compost and get horse manure, Cow manure uh, and dump them uh, out uh, around the peripheral area of the garden for us, and uh, and that you know the soil in my in my garden after so many years of uh, um, adding manure and compost to it is 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 really um, people tell me when they rototill till it. That it's really good, good soil.
0: Yeah, and you yeah. said this year you hauled twenty barrels of manure down down the path and into your garden. And I have to tell the listeners, because you cannot see her, that fan <laughs> is just a, a petite little woman, <laughs> but she must be I'm very less strong.
1: I've <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: So, tell me, uh, one of the things that really struck me as we were taking this tour was. The interaction between, you called them your neighbors, your gardening neighbors, you would say, oh, I gave Cindy this currant bush. Mine's dead now, but look at hers.
1: Or you'd say, you know, it, it, just tell us a little about the community here. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's a lovely community. Yeah, I meet people from all over the world. Um the the Africans love their their chewier corn, and I got to try that. Um, and uh, I I I have more garlic chive plants than I can I can manage because they spread. They they're they're uh, uh, so they come up every year, and uh, and they 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 grow into larger and larger clumps. So I'm always offering. To, for people to take some and some people have have them growing much better than mine <laughs> and a neighbor would say well you know if you um, if you like the the, the basil uh, take some basil and uh, uh, we're always um, sharing things, and and uh, uh, finding out about each other's uh, culinary habits, and finding out about new plants. Uh, get one plant from somebody, or uh, my neighbor Kun Yang from, from Hunan in China grows these uh, Wonderful Chinese long beans. I get them uh, those from him. When I see him, I said, "I've been waiting to see you because I wanted some of your eggplant, and I didn't want to pick them unless you're here." <laughs> uh, so he'll pick a few for me, and just just really really nice to share. Yeah. Well, um, and
0: as um, she was showing us her garden, she would hand out to Marcello and I little samples of things. And what was so other than the delicious taste, what was so amazing is we didn't have to run to a sink and wash them because <laughs> you don't use any kind of pesticides that's, or sprays. And that's right. Tell us a little about
1: that. Is, that must be a choice that you've made. Well, this, this is... this. Uh, this garden is pesticide-free. Oh, so it's across so, every, every single garden here. Yeah, I don't here. even have to worry about next door, my neighbor, right. spraying and getting them on, my, on mine. Fertilizer's okay, yeah. and fertilizer really doesn't uh, harm us in terms of uh, um, uh, what we eat. But um, uh, pesticides are harmful to the environment and to ourselves so uh pesticides are not allowed, and uh, we do quite well you see you see some of the things um the the bean the leaves uh look look like a lot of insects have mm-hmm. I've gotten mm-hmm. at them, but the beans still grow, and I try to go one of my my <laughs> one of the one of my my i i'd say this is a this is a gross habit of mine, is to go around looking for for bugs and squishing them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a direct way to get rid of them.
0: Right. But you don't seem particularly alarmed. You showed us the fence going in, how there were wires across the top to keep the deer out. But you said voles can get in. And as you were pulling up some very plump, luscious-looking carrots, you discovered for the first time that a vole had gotten in. But you didn't seem particularly angry or alarmed you said you just mm. cut it out and yeah the carrot. yeah i do yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i'd like to hear some about the rest of your life not as a gardener i know you chair the department for east asian studies at the university of albany could you just tell us a little about your work there and how you
1: came to the university of albany uh Okay, I, I, I lived, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm uh, an international person.
0: Yeah, I feel like uh, you are too. You kept <laughs> saying, I give these leaves to my Korean friends because they use it to wrap food in, and I give
1: these to my, you seem to have uh-huh. friends from all over the world. Right. Also, my own background is very international. I was born in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. When I was 10 years old, the family moved to Libya.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: we, uh, I lived there until I was sixteen. What
0: did your parents do that brought you my, from Taiwan my to My
1: father was an army uh, doctor, physician,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and uh, as a diplomatic gesture, the Taiwan government sent these engineers and uh, and uh, uh, doctors uh, to uh, to Africa uh, to help with uh, diplomatic relationships. So, so the family moved there. When I was 16, I moved to Seattle, uh, where I finished high school in Seattle. And then I went to Yale at, uh, in New Haven for college and uh, Columbia for... for um, and what did
0: you major in? At ma- Yale?
1: I majored in Chinese literature, and uh, and then um, then I went to Columbia University and got my Ph.D. in Chinese literature and also and, an and MPhil e- and
0: a master's.
1: <laughs> I saw you yeah, have many degrees, right? And uh, um, and then um, my um, husband and I moved to Canada, and uh, uh, we. Uh, th- we were in Canada, and then uh, he was in the oil industry. Uh, we went back to we went to Libya for uh, three years, and then we ba- went back to, to Canada. We went to Dubai, and uh, and then came back. I was here in Gilderland In I was at SUNY Albany teaching in the 90s. I taught. Two years here, and then went back to Canada, and then in 2002 I came back here, uh, and and I've been I've been at the Department of East Asian Studies you ever really since. You really are international. <laughs> in all these
0: places, did you have gardens? Did you find a way Not to garden? Not all the no? places
1: in Canada I did, but in many of the other places. Uh, uh, in Libya, actually, I, I did. I do, we were living right right by the Mediterranean Sea, and the sea air made it a little difficult. And I didn't have enough fertilizer, but I did plant try to plant things. the The water was very salty, made it a little difficult to plant things. But I I managed to plant a few things there. Um, yeah, I I. I just think that right now the the garden is is something that I look forward to uh, whenever I have time, especially in the evenings uh, early evenings after six thirty, my garden gets in the shade mm-hmm. and and during the summertime, when it's really hot during the day, uh, that area in the evening is just. So relaxing you you hear the 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 sometimes birds but but the insects in the background, and uh the air just feels uh very very relaxing <laughs> and and you just can puddle around in the garden doing whatever and you harvest and uh and share the the stuff that you produce and it just feels like oh, this is this is heaven (laughs) yeah well the way you describe (laughs) it it feels
0: like it and another thing that I hadn't noticed and I made a couple of visits to to write a home and garden story was you showed us the peace pole and I just thought that was a wonderful idea because there are so many different nationalities at this garden if you would just indulge me, because I looked up a little about your research, and I was—I don't even know how to pronounce <laughs> the names correctly—but apparently you—you you did the first um, English translation of, and I, it's a novel. How do you say this? H a i y o u g i.
1: Oh, 海游记. Yeah, Yeah. Just, I mean yeah. I just okay. okay, this is this is a novel on a on a goddess. Right. Uh she is the second most important goddess in Fujian in southeastern China. Mm-hmm. The most important goddess uh is a sea goddess. She is more um uh inland. Uh the mo- she's the most important goddess inland uh but the, the there's so much of the sea <laughs> where mm-hmm. people populate that she's the most second most important goddess in that, and and she her influence is in Taiwan, Southeast Asia, uh, 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 other provinces in in southern China. She her most important thing, and I was doing some I've been doing some research on vestiges of snake cults in southern China. Uh, the importance of uh, s- uh, people deriving, thinking that they are descendants of snakes. And, uh, and it was important to me that she, her most, one of her most important accomplishments was uh, killing snake demon. There's a, there was a female snake demon, demoness, that she's been uh, attacking. And my whole idea is that she was a new goddess, and the the demon the snake demon was the original snake goddess of the land For new goddesses to have influence over the new land. the new goddess has to uh, uh, attack uh, well have to compete with and kill the original goddess which is, which was what she did she uh, She was a shaman priestess herself, uh, a real Historical person during the Tang Dynasty, eighth and sen- uh, ninth century, she lived, and then um, she eventually became. She was revered as a sen- saint after she died, and eventually she became uh, a goddess. And uh, and as her uh, belief system spread, the the importance of her killing uh, the snake demon became more and more important. Now uh, a novel was written about her uh, that has been discovered and this novel was from the end of the, uh, the was 1700s. 1700s was the edition but uh, w- a, a, a professor who's been doing research on her thinks this novel was a reprint of a novel from the end of the uh, Ming Dynasty, probably more like 16th, uh, um, um, well, maybe 17th century. The novel was reprinted, I think, 18th century. Uh, in any case, um, I went to a workshop and met uh, on Taoism, so I met people who had more, um, uh, who had, was more familiar with, um, with um, how certain popular religious terms, religious terms, uh, Taoist and popular, and even Buddhist, um, that have been used in this novel, how they've been translated. So I start translating. Uh, I got some some advice, and 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 I translated the 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 novel. Uh, an article I wrote earlier in Chinese, I translated into and expanded in, in, in English and, uh, and this particular article uh, became an introduction to the novel the article is actually based on the idea that um, she became popular because she, she was a religious belief that had certain things that the original uh, belief system which was based on human sacrifice which, which happened in many, many of the old, old religions. People felt that the best thing they could have, uh, give to a god or goddess was uh, uh, was their children. And uh, and um, uh, later on, of course, as n- other religions come in, uh, we realized that it's possible to have deities who don't require human sacrifice, and, and um, she was a, a go- goddess that said, no, no more human sacrifice. You just, you know, give me um, uh, whatever uh, you, you like to, to offer to me. Um, no more, no more uh, ch- the requirement of children, which local religions, older religions uh, that she re- displaced uh, did.
0: That is so fascinating on so many levels. First of all, growing up in a culture with monotheistic religions that are patriarchal, to hear about this very ancient one that centers on powerful female figures. Right. And then also, I just wonder if you could comment on like what it's like to translate. That's a creative act in itself,
1: you uh-huh. know, to read
0: this very old work and to bring it
1: into modern terms in a different language just tell us a little about that well i i've, I've done a lot of translation i think that's that's been a forte At uh, one point i felt like translation is not as 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 important as um, you know doing a creative work uh, creative but it uh, is creative or, in its it, own way and, yes, like if you it read
0: like the most recent translation of the Iliad, it totally changed my idea of it just because of how it was translated. It
1: was translated, yeah. Eventually, I think I remember uh, meeting with a, 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 a very you know senior scholar, and I um, talked to her about translating some some opera. And which she was very interested in, she said, "I don't think I can do it." And and that was when I realized, well, actually, this is my forte. I can do. I I've been translating shadow plays, uh, which are traditional, and I think the, I, the 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 more the more one does it, the easier it becomes. So it's become something that that's not that difficult for me. Um, uh, the uh, uh, classical Chinese, the, the elite type, uh, is actually more difficult for me than the vernacular. Uh, but I've been doing a lot of translations that uh, uh, based on, on, on old operas, very old operas. And at first it was difficult, but the more I did it, the easier it became. So now I don't think it's, it's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for you. With the operas, do you, um,
0: do you have the music too, or is it just the
1: language that you're dealing with? Do you try to make the translation fit the music? No, I don't. No, no I don't. Uh, what I do is I try to keep a rhythm. So most of the lines are, are, are poetic, and I don't keep the rhyme. But at least I keep the lines in English. Um, I try to, to make the, the translation so that they they do reflect something of the lyricism yeah. uh, in it.
0: Because I know, just looking on the Internet, you've done a lot with shadow plays, and I'm not familiar with them at all, but could you just tell us a little about that? uh uh-huh.
1: What they are and how you mm-hmm. came to be so engrossed in them. <laughs> in the, the, this is one of the things. Um, uh, the, the first time I went to China in the early 90s, uh, I, I tried to do research on uh, Yuan history and the the library that I was trying to go to uh, was closed because they were trying to do something with that collection, so I couldn't get in. I ended up finding friends who had access to a Drama uh, Institute Library, and I was going there. Um, the The people there were very helpful, and then they gave me, they showed me this shadow puppet figure, uh, a figure made in in uh, parchment leather. Uh, and beautiful colors, the head um, profile, head of a uh, uh, woman warrior, and asked me if I would be interested in buying a set that uh, somebody had approached the library to buy. And I, and I said, I don't do research on that. But it, the set came with a whole set of... Um, of uh, hand copy scripts, and I said actually i 'm very interested in the scripts so so I arranged for my sister and I to buy the whole set. She has the set now I have all the scripts oh and I started gosh. I was going to translate one of the plays, but the, even the shortest play was l- at least ten volumes and I decided it was too much. I started doing research on on this. This field, on, on this area, which people haven't really done uh, research on. So it was fascinating that this is a new field that I'm going into. The, the Chinese were saying, oh, why are you interested in such a, what they call cold field, not hot field, yeah, right? right. <laughs> cold field. And I said, oh, I'm just interested in it. Now it's a hot field in China now. <laughs> Did you help make it a hot field? <laughs> I don't know. Mm. I may have had something to do with mm. it. Uh, but but uh, a popular popular culture has become more more important in China. And uh, many of the cha- shadow three uh, shadow theater traditions have become uh, designated as intangible cultural heritage. So a lot of the the people I went to uh, visit earlier, who were in really very very poor conditions, are now you know uh, uh, national treasure type oh, figures what now. what a transformation! Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, gosh. It's, it's, it's it's really nice. Um, I I um, translated quite a few plays, which um, which got collected in one book, because the the one book that I wanted to do with the history and culture of uh, the shadow Chinese shadow theater uh, became too thick. So I I. Took many of the translation of plays and put them into another book, but um, but that one, that one is still apparently the only one in English on Chinese shadow theater. Uh, that particular book is called uh, The Chinese Shadow Theater: History, Religion, and Woman Warriors. I've been doing a lot of research on Chinese woman warriors that I I was thinking about putting putting into a book which I never did and so I pulled a lot of the research on women warriors because there were a lot of woman warriors in Chinese, uh, in the shadow plays and I dealt with one particular one that was mostly um, the protagonist was, was a woman warrior and, uh, and took a lot of the research I've done on women warriors and put it into that chapter so, so I, you know, so I, I, without never, doing a
0: separate book, you combined right. all that research because they're part of the shadow plays. Well, can you just tell us briefly about the woman warriors in ancient China? Right.
1: Uh, I discovered that there were very, there were very, very few real woman warriors. Most of them were fictional. Uh, real f- woman warriors probably existed uh, as some. Um, um, uh, in among the minorities among minorities, women uh, were uh, did not have their feet bound, and um, they were much much more they rode horses they were much much more um, uh, much more uh, active mil- militarily uh, and some of them. Uh, were from matrilineal type situations, uh, families. And what I discovered, the woman warrior motif became important during the Song Dynasty. And this was um, about a thousand years ago when China became less powerful vis-a-vis the nomadic peoples Mm -hmm. and the peripheral ethnic groups became more and more powerful. Uh, in fact, one group, the Mongols became so powerful that, that they, they occupied most of, most of the known world back then. And one of the Chinese dynasties was a Mongol dynasty. But even before that, the Chinese um, came to be aware of um, women warriors that existed, uh, whether they were bandits, among bandit groups uh, some some there were women leaders, sisters of the leader or a leader herself, bandit groups among minority groups so um, in Chinese uh, plays in Chinese stories, there developed this motif of military romances where the uh, beautiful-looking Chinese uh, warrior, male warrior, um, uh, is chased after by uh, uh, barbarian uh, foreign princesses, barbarian princesses. And barbarian simply means they're not Chinese. They could be ethnically Chinese, but, but living not, not of the main group, but living as a, 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 um, as a, um, as a living in the mountains uh, as a sort of a banded free group somewhere. So, so a lot of these foreign supposedly foreign princesses fall in love with the Chinese warriors and help the Chinese. The more they they would fight with the Chinese warriors, they're more powerful. Then the Chinese warriors, some of them use uh, shamanistic uh, 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 magic, uh, but they tend to be more powerful than the Chinese. But because they fall in love with the Chinese warriors, they would help the Chinese in in uh in the chinese cause so it's very sinocentric yeah <laughs> and it's very male centric <laughs> so it's the the women chasing after the men and helping them with their cause uh, it's it's not really what we thought of women uh, woman warriors w- being right you totally it. i was so excited <laughs> about this as a
0: new icon
1: <laughs> the early
0: wonder woman but now i can see how you've deconstructed
1: mm. it into reality <laughs> wow wow well, and, and these woman Chinese woman uh, warriors were were uh, created during the Song Dynasty. They they uh, were kept on being created throughout throughout traditional China. Uh, many of them were probably based on shaman uh, uh, priestess leaders uh, of uh, uh, millenarian revolts. Uh, there were. Female leaders, and and some were probably based on acrobatic um, uh, troops, where the the women could could fly over walls and stuff. And uh, but but once once they become uh, drawn into the mainstream motif, they are the ones who who submit and join the mainstream and help the mainstream with their particular. Um, techniques that they have, their powers come to serve the mainstream, and that 's that we find that throughout the the literary uh, dramatic even now uh, the Chinese woman warrior uh, uh, operas are very popular in China
0: Well, our time has gone so fast, I cannot thank you enough, not just for the tour of the garden but this little. I feel like a little crack has opened. (laughs) I I wish I could sign up for one of
1: your courses. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I thoroughly enjoyed it.